Howdy, howdy, howdy. Welcome to the week three recap episode of the Steakhouse Sports Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Paul. And if you thought things were upside down after week two, I doubt week three changed your mind very much. The Bucks were dominated, the Saints blew out the Pats, and the Seahawks and Raiders, well, we'll get to all that. Uh, we'll talk about how our crowd performed, and we'll welcome an old friend back to the weekly winner circle. But before we get to all that, what's up, PC? Well, I might be bearing the lead a little bit, but I'm salty after a miserable <laughs> loss by the Seahawks. Um, but besides that, there were lots of great Seattle uh, sports moments over the weekend to celebrate, um, to kind of soften the blow. So our new NHL team, the Kraken, played their very first uh, preseason game and won it. Uh, they beat the Vancouver Canucks. It's preseason, so it yeah. doesn't matter. But it was cool. <laughs> it was it was neat to see that. Um, uh, Mariners are in, in the wild card chase uh, for the first time really uh, realistically in 20 years since the last time they made the playoffs, which is the longest drought in American professional, major professional sports Yikes. Uh, currently. <laughs> so um, not since 2001 have the Mariners made the playoffs. So as of tonight, they're only a half game out of the second wild card spot. So that's exciting. And then uh, the Sounders also, I'm a big soccer fan. So Sounders uh, beat their Western Conference rivals, Kansas City, over the weekend to uh, leapfrog them into first place in the Western Conference of MLS. So nice. I'll yeah. take that. Yeah, I, for sure. I need some, needed something other than whiskey to soften the blow of the Seahawks' miserable loss to the Vikings <laughs> over the weekend. Wow, this could be quite an exciting uh, quite an exciting season. I mean, it's still early in the year uh, for the Seahawks, so you yeah. know, we'll talk a little bit more about like where things stand with them. But, uh, you know, the, the Mariners on the cusp of the playoffs and the uh, Sounders on the, you know, certainly in good position. Yeah. And well, the Kraken, I don't give them a lot of shot to make the playoffs, but you know, you never know. Hey, Vegas Golden Knights made it to the Stanley Cup finals in their first season. That's so true. That's true. That's what everyone keeps keeps say, <laughs> saying here in Seattle, but it is an expansion team. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny because I'll connect back to that in a little bit, but uh, you know, like I heard a common theme uh, uh, with teams, NFL teams prior to the season, you know, you hear various people saying the same thing, the same theme, you know, the Steelers, Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season, for example, right. and Russell Wilson, uh, you know, uh, whatever. And, uh, and you hear that over and over and you start to believe it. And then you realize, oh, maybe everybody's like perception is wrong on, yeah. you know, on these things. So when you hear like, oh, well, don't forget the Vegas Knights made the uh, <laughs> Stanley Cup finals their first season. You think oh, if you hear that enough times, you know, you kind of think maybe everybody's drunk the Kool-Aid, <laughs> you know, it's time to, time to settle down a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, for sure. I mean, well, but, but I, by no means am I qualified to uh, analyze an NHL hockey team. <laughs> yeah. I, I am a fan, and I am going to uh, be fortunate enough to go to some of the games this year. But um, I know nothing about it other than you know having watched games on TV when I was a kid. That's yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm a Kings fan, and uh, but I don't get to watch them too much. So I actually, you know, and it's been a while since they've been in the playoffs. Uh, so I haven't really, I don't really get to enjoy them, but they have not had a very good season. So I'm kind of, even though I, I follow the rule that you may only have one team that you root for, yeah. uh, I am, you know, secretly rooting for the Kraken to do well and have a fun season anyway. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to go to the games. Yeah. Well, they're, they're now your hometown team. Right. So, I mean, I can understand it if you're a fan of like one of the original five teams or something like that, or if you come from, uh, you know, Detroit or, um, well, I guess I don't know. One of one of the major hockey towns in in uh, the U.S. or Canada um, it, that you wouldn't also become a Kraken fan. You yeah. know, if you're a uh, if you're a New York Rangers fan or a 
Montreal Canadiens, Boston Bruins, whatever, you're you're probably not going to be celebrating the Kraken very much or even caring too right, much about right. it, other than the fact that you might be able to go to a game in your home city. But uh, as a Kings fan, you know, whatever, you can become a Kraken fan. <laughs> you can do no, it. No, that's not how it works, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. I mean, I, the fact that the Kraken are an expansion team, that's what I think is really exciting. Like, it's you get to be here uh, at the start, whereas when I moved here, you know, at the time, the Raiders and the Seahawks were – rivals AFC West rivals yeah so yeah there was no question all bets that I, were that off. I was that I yeah. was opposed to the Seahawks and so you kind of that's what you but you yeah. know there's no rivalry between the Kraken and the, and the Kings anyway the, this is a football podcast I think it, so it is. uh yeah you know, let's let's uh and we back keep to the talking about tightening it up so let's right. move on all right yeah. <laughs> all right well it is a I'm glad that your Seattle teams are are at least making up for the uh, <laughs> uh the deficiency in your football team yeah oh god <laughs> All right, if you haven't had a chance to check out our app, head on over to SteakhouseSports.com. Steak can be spelled either like the meat or the bet. Click on the link of your preferred app store to download Steakhouse Sports and see what it's all about. Uh, Let's move on to our favorite segment of the week, a time-honored tradition where we talk whiskey and wagers. That's right. So uh, whiskey, as we all know, is distilled and aged in barrels, and that's where we came up with our idea of barrel wagers. These are the predictions we're so confident in uh, that we'd wager everything we own, including the clothes off our back. Uh, and then if we get it wrong, uh, we will be wearing uh, left wearing nothing but a barrel. And uh, yeah, it's not an, it's another uh, stellar week for me, Paul. But uh, before we get into that, let's talk about the whiskey. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll let you introduce oh, sure. this one since you uh, so kindly provided. Sure. This so week. yeah. So and actually, there's uh, there, I saw quite a few uh, Washington um, whiskeys in the Met Market around, which is the you know the Seattle super, uh, supermarket chain up, up here. So uh, this one is uh, called Waitsburg whiskey, whiskey Bourbon from the Ula Distillery, based out of our the Soto neighborhood in uh, this, in Seattle. So just south of uh, Lumen Field and. What is it, T-Mobile Park these days? Is that what it's it called is, these days? It is, yeah. So yeah. Uh, anyway, and uh, yeah, it's a, it was... Uh, so yeah, we're really excited to try this out. Uh, I'm not sure what else to say about it. You know, they got a story on the back, but eh, nobody cares about that. Yeah. Um, but it does. It looks it looks real nice, and um, we are... I'm excited to try it out. So there you go. Ooh, Only, that was a nice sound. Shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a couple, couple fingers for you right there. All right. Awesome. All right. Thank you. You bet. My pleasure, as always. Give not that little, you know, little cheers. Yeah, I keep reminding, I keep uh, forgetting that we actually could just pretend like we're drinking, and you know, just say it on air that we're drinking. But what's the point of that? Why would we ever do that? <laughs> when you got the real thing staring yeah. you right in the face. Ooh, that's good. Mm. Ooh, that wow. is that, that is, is real, really good. real good. Wow, that is a good one. Yeah. Ooh, I'm excited. Okay, I'm ex- uh, let's uh, let's get through this. So we can keep drinking before. Um, wow, I might need a minute. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's, it's good, right? Okay. Well, anyway, that's Ula Ula Distillery, uh, Wadesburg Whiskey Bourbon. So well done. All right, all right. Let's get to your picks, man. All right, my uh, barrel wager for this week was the Cardinals to cover the six and a half point spread as favorites over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, I think the spread was six and a half, or was it six? I think it's seven and a half. I think it closed at seven and a half. It closed at seven and a half. You might have, I think you might have called it when it was six and a half, but. Yeah. Okay. Well, regardless, I would have won either way. Uh, it was a pretty convincing win in the end. Um, the Cardinals cruised to a 31 to 19 win despite a record tying 109 yard kick six from Jamal Agnew of the, the Jags on a 68 yard field goal attempt by the Cardinals to close, close out the first half. So instead of um, 
opting for a, a Hail Mary with two seconds left at the end of the first half. The Cardinals decided to try what would have been um, even uh, a record-breaking kick at that point in the right. day and, and would have been a record-breaking <laughs> yeah. uh, breaking kick uh, to end the day. Uh, of course, uh, Justin Tucker from the Baltimore Ravens later in that same day ki- successfully kicked a 61-yarder off the crossbar. 66. Oh, sorry, 66. Well, I don't know why I said 61. That used 66-yarder, yeah, um, which was crazy, crazy impressive. It was really, really cool to see. Yep. Um, but this one uh, was far short and short enough to be caught in the back of the end zone uh, by by Jamal Agnew and really <laughs> a bunch of missed tackles down the field. Yeah. But if you think if you think about it, the personnel that's on the field for the the team that's attempting a field goal, it's a bunch of offensive linemen yeah. for the most part. So not not the best tacklers on the team. So it's not really too surprising, I think, when that happens. Um, you would want to think that your team would be a little bit better prepared to defend against that when mm-hmm. kicking a 68-yard field goal. <laughs> it's basically a glorified kickoff. Yep. Um, with, as I said, not the right personnel out, out there to really um, cover a kickoff. Yep. Um, but nevertheless, he uh, brought it all the way back to the house, which tied a record that's really as far as you can possibly yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> return a kick yep. in the NFL. Um, so tied, tied that record. I think I think it's been done this, uh, several times, maybe like four or five times mm. now um, to this point. Um, that allowed the Jaguars to actually take a 13-7 lead on that play, um, but it was pretty much all Cardinals in the second half. So yep. um, this was a pretty easy, a pretty easy win. I mean, it's funny you say that because they were down 19 to 10, I think at one point. And so, you know, then they had to score 21 unanswered. So I'm not sure if it was super easy, but it was like in a weird way, I would say that, uh, you know, they won by 12, but I'm not sure I trust the Cardinals anymore, mm. even though they're now three and three and oh, well, I guess so. the, the Jags did their best right, the, uh, Seahawks impression. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do, you know, I think at this point that you can't trust the Jags to, uh, you know, not do well. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that nicely. So, well, congrats, Paul. Well done. Uh, it's a good pick. I think it was a smart pick no matter what, but it was kind of like a, definitely an unorthodox way for the uh, the Cardinals to get there. Yeah. Well, it meant I was doing nothing but scoreboard watching with that game, so I, I wasn't actually watching it other than seeing the highlights of the kick six. Right. Um, so I guess maybe I felt less concerned Yeah. Uh, than I should have been. <laughs> yeah, possibly, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. And uh, all right, well, that's... Uh, so Paul, now that moves him to two and one. I am on a streak. I'll tell you, I picked the Patriots to cover the minus three against the Saints, and man, it wasn't even close. It was ugly all the way around. Mac Jones, it did not have a, a good game, and people, you know, they, you can make excuses for him, whatever. But the fact is that uh, it was a, a bad game for him. It was a bad game for the Patriots defense. Um, so my prediction, it's funny, Paul, I was, I was thinking back on it and I was wondering, uh, you know, I was, or I was thinking like when we talked last week, should I put the Patriots in my survivor pool? If I'm so confident, I was like, Oh no. And that to me right there should have been my signal that no, I can't possibly pick the Seahawks or the, excuse me, the Patriots, because if I'm not willing to put them in my survivor pool, why am I doing a barrel wager? Yeah. Well, I remember you were kind of wavering when you made the pick on the air last week on the show, you were sort of referencing you know, uh, Mac Jones, rookie quarterback, you know, it's not, there's not a whole lot of consistency there necessarily. 
but I think you had your uh, your wagon hitched to Bill Belichick. That's that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Well, it didn't work out, and I have to suffer. But on the other hand, I got to see the Patriots get their butts kicked. So there's always a little silver lining there. So that brings the my record to now a pristine zero and three. I'm gonna pick <laughs> every team that I hate from now on, and it'll all work out in the end, one way or the other. <laughs> That's right. All right. All right. Well, let's do a quick uh, summary from our friend Robert Sturgill, who has put together an excellent uh, expert analysis analysis. So he looked at all of the um, experts out there and uh, what their predictions were. And he put together basically a result. It was a good result for all of the experts out there. Um, Our crowd wisdom uh, topped the charts, as it turns out, uh, that is, say, our uh, best bets. Um, which you can subscribe to on our website, steakhouseports.com. Uh, we send it out every Saturday. Uh, anyway, that had the highest percentage, but there were a lot of predict- uh, expert predictors in the uh, in the black this week. Uh, so it was kind of a good week overall for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of the games themselves, um, the predictions turned out, turned a positive return on investment, uh, which is, I guess, and then, uh, you know, I'm not really, it's kind of interesting to think about that. Like, does that mean, I guess that means that Vegas, um, the books would have taken a hit on all of those. Uh, so that's just kind of interesting. So you're going to wonder if like the bet, the books are going to correct this week or, uh, you know, or the crowd is going to forget about how to <laughs> make predictions. But in any case, it was overall a good week for the predictors. And it looks like about, about two thirds, maybe, maybe even 75% uh, ended up uh, with positive returns on investment. So thank you, Steve. Uh, thank you, Robert, for your support and for the report. Um, and also he wanted to call out a Viking fan who killed the stakes this week and we'll get to the results, but it was a good week for Robert as well. And so we're excited to share in his glory. Uh, in any case, let's move on to the crowd results. Uh, these are the low lights and highlights for the week. So we'll start with the low lights, which is the, uh, the bagels. That is when the crowd misses on all three predictions for each game, but unfortunately there's nothing to talk about here. So that is kind of the low light is a highlight if you, if you will. So perfect. (laughs) And on the flip side of that, on a very positive note, we did have five trifecta games those of course are the games in which the crowd accurately got all three predictions right for each of these five games starting with the panthers and texans in houston where the texans were eight point uh home underdogs the total was 43 and a half the panthers won the game 24 to 9 meaning they won covered the spread and the total stayed pretty well under the 43 and a half our crowd very accurately predicted the panthers uh score um getting it uh, really close to 24. So we'll call it 24 uh, to 16 for the the crowd prediction on the score, Uh, meaning the Panthers would win cover and the total would also stay under. So that's our first trifecta of the day. All right. Well, moving on to the next trifecta was the uh, Indianapolis Colts at the Tennessee Titans. Uh, The Titans were four and a half point home favorites. The total is 47. Uh, The Titans won uh, relatively comfortably uh, 25 to 20, or excuse me, 25 to 16, uh, which meant that they won and covered and the game stayed under that 47. Our crowd had uh, the Titans winning also within a point of the final score for the Titans anyway, 20. Five, uh, 25 and a half to 21 so the so interestingly in that first game the spread was eight and the crowd predicted a an 8.6 victory and in this game the spread was four and a half and the crowd predicted a 4.6 <laughs> nice. point victory for the titans but nevertheless uh, that meant the titans won and covered the spread and the game stayed under the 47 by by 0.6 points so that was <laughs> living on the edge there that game so uh not i'm not sure like we talked about the panthers anything to talk about for those 
uh, for that game. Yeah. Uh, well, as you mentioned in our uh, our dress rehearsal, we'll yeah. call it, uh, <laughs> Christian McCaffrey was injured in that right. game. So right. uh, was it a hamstring injury? Yeah, that, yeah that's right. Yeah. yeah, so it doesn't sound... He's not on IR, but uh, you know, hamstring injuries are not ones that you can get over easily, in my experience. So, but what do I know? Yeah, well, I mean, certainly with the position he plays and the amount of touches he gets in each game—that is a concern, yeah. to be sure. So, something yep. to watch for. Yep. Uh, okay, our next trifecta game had the Washington Football Team in Buffalo facing off against the Bills, who were seven and a half point home favorites. The total was forty-five and a half, and the Buffaloes won in a blowout, forty-three to twenty-one meaning the Bills win and covered, and the total goes well over the 45-and-a-half. Our crowd uh, thought that the Bills would win 28-20, to 20, let's call it. Uh, so uh, the crowd thought the Bills would win, cover, and the total would go just a little bit over the 45-and-a-half. Not decimal points, but no. not by a mile. So no. once again, crowd gets all three predictions right on that game. Yep. And Washington's defense is not what it was last year, and the Buffalo Bills seem to be exactly where they were last year, which is to say, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, they sputtered a bit out of the gate and had a pretty pretty miserable first game, but uh, their last couple of games have been convincing. Yep. All right, well, let's move on down to uh, Jacksonville. The Cardinals were in Jacksonville. The Jaguars were 7.5-point home favorites. The uh, the, uh, sorry. And the, uh, total was 50 and a half. Uh, the Jags were seven and a half point underdogs. I'm sorry. Underdogs. Yeah. Thank you. There you go. I'm all, I'm all confused. <laughs> the color coding. I think we switched to games. It's a whole thing. I don't know. Uh, but in any case, the, uh, uh, Cardinals won 31 to 19. We talked about this already a little bit, uh, but w- which meant that they won and covered the spread and the game stayed under the 50 and a half. Our crowd had, believe it or not, another near bullseye, 30, uh, 30.9, so 30 called 31 to 16 win, which meant that the Cardinals, or the crowd thought the Cardinals would win and cover, and the game would stay under the 15.5. So uh, we talked about this game already extensively, so not really sure there's much else to say other than the Jags are not good. Not good, and yeah. the crowd's score prediction was fairly accurate uh, yeah. compared to the actual score. So right, yeah. 31 to 19, actual score, crowd prediction 31-16, so yep. pretty cool. Yep. Uh, our final trifecta game of the week were uh, the Denver Broncos hosting the New York Jets. Broncos were big 10.5 point home favorites. The total was 42.5, and, and the Broncos shut out the Jets 26 to nothing. Our crowd also thought that the Broncos would score roughly 26 points, so a, a very near bullseye there yeah, as well. Amazing. Uh, but was a little bit more generous on the Jets side, thinking that they would score almost two touchdowns, which was. <laughs> touchdowns too many in this case but nevertheless the crowd accurately predicted uh the broncos to win cover and the total to stay under 42 and a half all right yeah so always exciting to to cover those so let's go into our weekly results yeah crowd had an amazing week this week it was a full slate slate of games so um you know there was plenty of opportunity for the crowd and for all of our individual predictors to rack up a lot of uh, prediction points. And certainly we were hopeful that the crowd would have a big week to uh, make up for a sort of a mediocre performance over the first couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And boy, did they ever, Uh, the crowd scored a whopping 67 prediction points, uh, which is gotta be one of the, one of the highest uh, totals ever by the crowd. I think so. I'm not sure the crowd's ever cracked 70 points, even with a full slate of games. No, I don't think so. Uh, so very, very favorable total um, prediction point score for the crowd. 
And then uh, the crowd's record, uh, particularly against the spread, was just phenomenal this week. It really um, caused the crowd to uh, make up a ton of ground and also now really kind of playing with house money (laughs) from this point on a little bit. That's a long season. It's a long season. Yeah. (laughs) It puts us in good good position. I'll say that. Yep, for sure. The crowd went 11 and 5 straight up, 13, 2 and 1 against the spread, and 10 and 6 against the total. We had 12 total unique predictors uh which is is great that's holding holding pretty steady um across the first three weeks of the season so thank you again to all of our predictors each week and even if you're only submitting one score prediction for one game um we we love love you and appreciate that so continue to do that and and spread the word if you could get more people joining in the fun um Against the favorites and picking underdogs, the crowd went six one and one picking the favorites and seven and one picking the underdogs. Which, uh, again, we talked about in our uh, sort of little dress rehearsal here. Um, the crowd does not normally pick that many underdogs. Yeah, but uh, certainly doesn't usually fare nearly that well when picking underdogs as well. So, um, crowd usually sticks with the consensus favorites. Um, which is not surprising, but in this case had an excellent, excellent week. Yep. Picking underdogs. Yep. And including, and we looked at the data and, and some of the, uh, some of the predictions of the underdogs, like were just on the, uh, the cover side and it ended up coming through. So, but you know, so <laughs> the crowd might've used up all of its good luck, uh, so far this season, but still exciting. And, uh, we're certainly glad that the crowd uh, did well. The crowd is certainly lost on you know, that razor's edge as well, as we've talked about many times. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, and as I just said a moment ago, the uh, crowd really made up a ton of ground and gained ground uh, with our overall cumulative crowd results. So far after three weeks of the season, the crowd is now 27 and 21 predicting straight, the straight up winners, 28, 19 and one push against the spread and 26 and 22 against the total. Uh, so yeah. moving on to our contest results, uh, Chris, who were the uh, who were the <laughs> picks for the MyBookie.ag Super Contest this week? Yeah, so uh, it was a return to above five hundred. Um, we picked the Browns uh, minus seven. We picked the Dolphins plus three and a half, which thanks to the Raiders kicking a field goal at the end of the game uh, to win it, uh, that covered as well. And we picked the Cardinals going with Paul's barrel wager uh, minus seven and a half, and those were all wins, but. Uh, unfortunately, we also picked the Seahawks uh, at minus two, and we picked the Eagles plus three and a half. So the crowd missed two spreads on the entire week, and I picked them both. That is <laughs> very frustrating. Uh, we, by the way, a quick note: uh, the the one uh, the push this week was um, on the Raiders Dolphins because at close the the spread had moved all the way down to three, and that's how we basically score the crowd result is uh, at the closing line. And and there's a you know we we could talk about like whether we could do that a little bit better, um, but um, you know it's just one of those things where uh, it it kind of showed like there the money was coming in on the Dolphins all week, and so the Vegas moving the line at the end to three showed that you know that not a lot of people were picking the Raiders to cover. So it's kind of interesting that uh, that that's how it goes. Now our crowd did pick pick the Raiders to cover, so. Uh, you know, they they got saved a little bit by the late line move. I'm really surprised by that. Why do you think? Why do you think the line um, was moved in favor of, of the Dolphins like that? It's, it seems crazy. Like after the first two weeks of the season, the Raiders were kind of the um, the talk of the town, so to speak. One of the teams that was 
off to a, a really nice start and there was a lot of talk about them and the Dolphins lost their starting quarterback in week two. Well, so. I think, I think, uh, you know, that actually, I think that's a big part of it, um, is that, uh, backup quarterbacks have a, a bit of a puncher's chance, I think, um, in a lot of cases, um, because they, there's not a lot of film on them. Jacoby Brissett in particular, I, you know, I'll, we can talk about the, the game in a little bit, but overall, I think it was just because I don't think a lot of people still believed in the Raiders primarily. And, um, I think that they were looking at the, when we talked about the Bills Dolphins game from week two, the game didn't look as quite a, quite as much of a blowout as we thought. And so the fact that, um, you know, it was relatively close for most of the, it seems like for most of the game. And then the, yeah. the bills pulled away. Uh, they, I think that's another reason why the, um, the people were putting their money on the dolphins. And of course it turned out well for them. Right. I mean, <laughs> uh, you yeah. know, it ended up like it was five and it started out to five and a half and it closed at three. So it means that like all through, you know, if you were betting on the dolphins all throughout the week, you were, you did just fine. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So. All right, well, let's uh, step on up to the hot take counter. Do you need a refill? Yes, I do. Yeah. Actually, I mean, you know, if we're going to do, do hot take, we got to, you know, make sure our palates are cleansed and all that stuff. So. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, let, let's step on up to that hot take counter where the stakes may be hot, but the takes <laughs> are hotter. I wish we had a soundboard. We could make like a little sizzling oh, yeah. sound effect or something like that. But All right. Well, we all we got to do is get some sponsorship, some sweet, sweet sponsorship, yeah. and we'll be fine. This is a pretty low budget operation. Yeah. Uh, but we do have our whiskey, so mm-hmm. I'll take that. All right. Well, my hot take of the week is if defense wins championships, the Chiefs have no shot this year. So it's still obviously very early in the season, but there are several contenders, quote unquote, whose defense might end up ruining their chances if the ugly stats don't improve and the ugly performances on the field to match. Defense has seemingly waned in the NFL overall, especially the past few seasons with seasons with rule changes and officiating emphasis increasingly favoring offenses and scoring. 2020 marked a year of shattered scoring records across the NFL as a prime example. But as Kerry Bradshaw may have very well wondered in a lost episode of Sex in the City, how valuable is all this scoring if you're always giving it up? What the hell? <laughs> Apparently you never watched that show. Uh, I plead the fifth. <laughs> hey, I thought that was pretty clever. That is pretty. No, I it's mean, I've, it's very it is. it's very like... Carrie Bradshaw esque. <laughs> yeah, I have a wife. In it, case anyone's all right. For, yes, but okay. I, that, I, that explains it. I have no shame. I I'm not afraid to admit that's a good show. I like I liked it. All right, let's yeah. uh, save that for the non football podcast. We'll save it for the off season. <laughs> Oh man, I thought that was good. I, apparently, that didn't it, land it, as well as I thought. Well, it was hey, it's to. just me. I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm one person. What do I know? But Chris, honestly, how valuable is all the scoring if you're always giving it so, up? As as a uh, fan of a team who had a terrible defense, it's not fun. <laughs> it's not valuable at all. Well, I pick on the Chiefs because so far this season they are Exhibit One A. Touted by many as obvious preseason Super Bowl favorites, Kansas City has continued its offensive tirade behind Patrick Mahomes and company, averaging over 30 points per game still and landing in at least the top five of multiple key offensive statistical categories, including third down conversion percentage. They sit at 55.2% converting third downs, which is number one in the league. Points per drive, they're scoring over three points per uh, per drive, which is number two. Yards per play at 6.6, tied for fourth. 
total yards so far at 1,239, which is uh, number five. Uh, but on the flip side, their defense has performed among the worst statistically in the league so far, similarly ranking in the bottom five or even as the worst overall in those same stati- statistical categories on the defensive side of the ball. My Seahawks, sadly, are another team that have fallen victim to a similar fate, although with considerably less consistency on the offensive side of the ball in their case so far this season. But as a result, both teams are in somewhat of a precarious one and two hole record-wise in two of the strongest divisions in football. While it's far too early to tell, and certainly the law of averages will catch up in a 17-game season, it's not surprising that the teams with the best statistical defenses so far that also boast a better-than-average offense to date are off to the best starts after the first three weeks. Prime example: six of the ten, uh, excuse me, six of the top ten scoring defensive teams also rank in the top half of the league in scoring offense, including the Broncos, Panthers, Saints, Bills, Browns, and Rams. And I would point out that the Bills and Rams are the most consistent in those two categories, with the Bills ranking number four overall in scoring defense and also number four so far in scoring offense the rams number nine scoring defense and number three scoring offense uh the rams are three and oh the bills are two and one all of those teams that i mentioned have winning records and several of them are still undefeated after three weeks of the season so while defense definitely contributes to winning championships and of course there are outliers like the 85 bears and my 2013 legion of boom seahawks Maybe in this new era of potent offenses, balance is the ultimate equalizer. All right. Well, that sounds, uh, I mean, I don't really have a lot to, to say. I mean, um, you know, I definitely, if you kind of look at the Seahawks last year, they had an absolutely blistering offense to start the season. And then, but the defense just kind of like, oh, well, the offense will carry us. And yeah. that didn't typically. They were on pace to be historically the worst defense ever no oh. um the first half of the season and then they performed so well the second half of the season defensively that they finished in the top half oh interesting um, oh, amazing kind of middle of the pack but in in that top half um in total total defensive stat hmm. uh, stats um but that was mainly a product of the teams that they played in the second half of the season um you know they played the jets who only won a couple of games last year mm-hmm. they played uh, played and lost to the Giants, Washington football team. Like these were teams that did not have good offensive right, uh, right. Uh, talent on their teams. And um, the the defense for the Seahawks, you know, now in retrospect, it, it looks even more glaring. Yeah. <laughs> like that was more, much more of a product of the, the their opponents um, and the weakness of their opponents on offense than it was about their improvement defensively, sadly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting, uh, you know, the, so I think historically it would make sense that um, the Seahawks would kind of gel over the course of the season and they would, they would improve, but the Chiefs, I don't know that that is part of their DNA. So mm-hmm. that's kind of, an, that, that's the, the bigger risk. So I'm going to talk about that in, in my hot take, but that's a, that's a spicy hot take. So basically you're, you're saying that if, you know, uh, defenses like there are defenses that are already indicating that they're not going to be championship material. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it this way, offense is such a, the Kansas city chiefs are one of the few teams and the bills, I would put them in this category too, where their offense 
is consistently so dangerous. Like they, they can easily put up 30 points a mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. Um, but offense is something that, that can come and go, you know, if it's something that depends much more on, um, timing and accuracy and, and scheme and yep. play calling and situations and things like that. Um, where, you know, the, I, I feel like there's a lot more opportunity for there to be less consistency and it. It doesn't take very many factors, uh, to come into play that will disrupt that offensive yeah. output. So, um, you know, if you think about in the Chiefs case, if they all of a sudden start scoring just under 30 points per game, but they're still giving up, um, you know, tons of points per game, over 30 points per game. I mean, it's obvious they're <laughs> not going right. to win too many games in, in that uh, circumstance. But, um, you know, it, it only will take a, a minor sort of decrease in offensive productivity for a team like that. Um, to start coming out on the losing end of some of these games that they're playing. Yeah. Well, let's actually, if you don't mind, I'm going to, that's going to dovetail into what I was talking about. So I'll do that. But before I get into my hot take, I want to start off with an appetizer. Uh, My Raiders are now three and O and I'm uh, very excited naturally, but I did want to mention uh, just, I think it's more important as a, like a week three kind of, and maybe even week three, week four to kind of think about like, you know, get, try to pull back a little bit. So you know, the Raiders have two exciting wins. Uh, I would say like, you know, two of the, you know, most exciting games of the season so far. Um, but the, and they also have a solid win on the road versus the Steelers. Um, uh, but I'm, but I just want to say like, everyone, let's, let's take it easy. Like uh, some of these teams, like we don't really know who they are and here's why. So the Raiders were not predicted to win by anybody uh, against the Steelers. And but now you think like both well, Steelers just lost to the Bengals by two touchdowns. So what you know, you're looking back like, is it really that surprising that the Raiders beat the Steelers? You know, I'm not quite sure. Um, the Dolphins had Jacoby Brissett at quarterback as opposed to their number one overall draft pick, uh, Tua, uh, Tonga Vailoa. So, you know, now is that a was Jacoby Brissett a downgrade? I don't know, but it's not your number one pick, so it's certainly like not a good thing. Uh, and then, um, as I mentioned last week, the Ravens in that first game, they had to play their backups backup at running back to, you know, for that first game. And so, and who, who made a pretty crucial missed, had a pretty crucial missed block that led to the fumble that led to the field goal or excuse me, the, the, the winning touchdown. So the point is that, um, you know, you kind of think, oh, wow, they're three and oh, and they beat the Steelers and the, uh, and the Ravens and the Dolphins three teams that had 10 wins. And as far as I know, like from what I heard over the weekend, they are the first team to win their first three games against teams that had 10 or more wins the previous season, which is amazing. Except the three teams that are playing now are not the three teams that they, they weren't the playoff teams from last year. And so the perception of a team, even after three or four weeks is based on preseason and not based on the postseason, or you know right. at the end of the season and so mm-hmm. when you kind of look at these wins these are wins that are they had to have and it's great that they have them don't get me wrong but you know people are putting them in the top 10 and i'm happy to see that but i also think that we don't know it's all based off of you know we don't know who these teams are who their opponents are and that kind of that applies to everybody right you look at the bucks for example uh and they beat the cowboys they uh, in the first week of the season then they beat the falcons the Falcons, you know, uh, it, it was it was actually a close game. They barely beat the the Cowboys, and then they lost to the Rams. So, what do we make about what do we make of the Bucks? You know, are they really that good? You know, and 
And so and the Broncos are 3-0, and but they've beaten three of the worst teams in the league. So are they that good? So the point is that, you know, as I said last week, I, there are only two teams I trust, and now I don't trust either of those teams because they both lost. Um, and so it, 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 what's interesting is that there's a point at which the field will flip and we will be able to say, okay, this team is actually playing well and this is actually good. And then you look back on the season, and I think we should do this, you'll look back on the season of like to, at, to that point and say, okay, here are the quality wins. And we'll do that with our authentic record, so we'll talk about yeah. that a little bit. But I, you know, I, I, as excited as I am about the Raiders, I'm also like, okay, everybody calm down. They're playing the Chargers this weekend or this Monday, and that is going to be the game that really decides – are they here for real or are they, you know, still going to make mistakes and stuff like that? They, there's a lot of good things and I'll talk, we'll talk about that, uh, the game a little bit more. So, but having said all that, here's, here's the hot take. The hot take is there are four teams right now that are at inflection points to decide whether their team is going to be good or not, or their season is going to be good or not. Excuse me. So, uh, team number one, the Steelers. Now, I think in some cases you might say that the Steelers, the decision is already made. They just lost to the Bengals. They, they looked bad doing it. They lost to the Raiders, and they beat the, the Bills, but not with offense. It was with, you know, kind of fluky uh, blocked punt for a touchdown. So they only scored really, I think, 16 points on offense and got a blocked punt, and that was the difference of the game. And their defense was playing well. They've lost T.J. Watt. So now they have to decide. So, so basically they're looking far more like the team that – uh, limped to the finish in 2020 than the team that started out the season with 11 straight wins. Um, and their defense is struggling with injuries and their offense is really anemic. So uh, they're facing the Packers, the Broncos, and the Seahawks in the next three weeks. They could very easily come out of that at one and five. And at one and five, you are pretty much done. If they are able to, you know, salvage two, maybe, you know, like I don't know how the, I, the Broncos, I think they could beat the Seahawks. Due respect, I think they could beat the, the Seahawks, but I it it is really it comes down to the team deciding are they going to be um, you know are they going to be a, a playoff team or not you know and and it you know I mean obviously it's not like flipping a switch, but it is uh, they've got their work cut out for them in the uh, coming up. So um, and then by the same token, the Patriots the Patriots are one and two, and they have looked bad. They the only team they beat is the Jets, who are the worst team in the league, um, and they got blown out by the saints this past weekend with Jameis Winston, who does not look good. And they lost to Tua uh, and the dolphins in week one at home. So those are both um, rough games to lose. Meanwhile, you know, kind of the same thing as the Steelers. They have the, the bucks and Tom Brady. I would be shocked if Tom Brady is like, if you want a barrel wager, Tom Brady is going to have like four touchdowns easy uh, against the, <laughs> against the Patriots. Uh, but uh, so it's going that is going to be a brutal uh, game. Then they have, you know, a relatively easy game against the Texans the week after that. But then they're facing the Cowboys, so they might be they might be one and four, one and four, uh, excuse me, two and four, or one, you know, possibly even one five. But I don't see them being uh, certainly um, uh, three and three. So they are also two and four for the Patriots. That is going to be rough, and they're going to have their rookie quarterback who did not look good this weekend. So they Bill Belichick's got to figure out like how he's going to write the ship, or even if he's going to try to write the ship, or otherwise just. Um, you know, just play for the next season. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's touch on the Seahawks. I will try not to go too deep into this uh, because Paul, I want to be sensitive to you know what I'm sure is a painful experience. Oh, but no, let them have it. But but one of the <laughs> steadiest bets in the in the last ten years is the Hawks over ten wins. You put the Hawks over ten wins, and you are cashing that at the end of the season. Uh, but uh, if they don't get their their defense figured out uh, and or don't put two solid halves of offense together. 
uh, I think that is not a bet that's going to cash this year and I've got money on them. So, um, you know, so I think they're going to limbo under that <laughs> limbo under that 10 win bar with some room to spare. So, uh, you know, I, I will, I want to point out at this moment that, uh, I, I like as much as it, it is a little frustrating when the Seahawks are doing really well and the Raiders are doing not so well. Uh, I like that they do well because I think it's fun, more fun for this, for the podcast and stuff like that. I think benefits the podcast. So I am hoping that they do figure things out, but you know, it is, yeah. uh, I am concerned about them because if they don't get this figured out, you know, and so we talked about the, the schedule coming up, they play their, um, on top of the Steelers in a couple of weeks, they play the hot, the, uh, Rams and the 49ers. These are absolute must wins for where they are right now. If they fall, you know, one in four and have, um, you know, two division losses, that is going to be a really, really steep hill to climb. Yeah. You know, even though, you know, Russell Wilson is still playing, you know, he's still MVP caliber, I would say. So, yeah, I agree a hundred percent with that. I'll, I'll, I'll just chime in and say a couple things on, on the Seahawks here. Um, first, first of all, I agree a hundred percent with your assessment. Um, the next two games for the Seahawks being division opponents and, super tough competitors, um, in the 49ers and then the Rams on Thursday night football next week. Those are very crucial games. Um, furthermore, after the Rams game, they travel to Pittsburgh and play the Steelers and then they're back home on Monday night football against the saints. So it's not like the schedule gets any easier. No, they, right. They also have to travel to Washington and play the football team. Um, I can't remember where that falls in the schedule, but it's in the first half of the season, I believe. Um, first half of their schedule is pretty tough. Yeah. Um, I will point out that the Seahawks do have a, a previous track record of starting off slow right. and then um, going on a run to close out the season um, under Pete Carroll with Russell Wilson. Um, a prime example of that was in the 2015 season, uh, the year after they uh, heartbreakingly lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots. They still had a, a you know, their solid core of, super talented uh, players on the team, both on offense and on defense. Um, they started that season one and two, two and four. They were four and five as late as mid-November hmm. of that season and won six of their final seven games uh, to finish with a 10 and six record and make it to the divisional round of the playoffs where they sadly uh, fell behind 31 nothing to the Panthers by halftime. And then the Panthers never scored in that game, but the Seahawks just ran out of time. Yeah. So anyway, uh, all that being said, they do have that track record of finishing strong and their schedule, at least on paper so far, um, looks more favorable the second half of the season. So I feel like with, uh, if they can at least just get their defense and coaching staff on the same page, um, and they can, uh, make some marginal improvements at, at the least, um, enough so, so that they can at least be competitive and hopefully win some of these next three, four games. Um, they'll be fine. All right. That's, I mean, that's, I think that's a fair assessment as well. And I, I wrote that down that, you know, I think if they get through these next games, if they, if they're able to beat the Steelers, which I, you know, I think they'll be favored in that game. And then, you know, I think they could beat the 49ers, um, despite like what ended up being a fairly remarkable, uh, game on Sunday. Uh, you know, and the 49ers looking pretty good. Um, I, I'm not sure that, um, you know, I, or I, I give the, the Seahawks a, a decent chance to win that game. So if they come through at three and three, then I think they're going to be fine. And more than anything else, I, you know, I talk about that, that inflection point. If they're two and four, I worry that the team, they'll lose the team. 
You know what I mean? Like things, things will, it will be two and four with some losses that they feel like they should have won and they'll start, right. you know, you never, you never know. Well, it'd be t- more importantly over these next two games, it'll be two and four with the Rams being likely undefeated still right. in the division and the 49ers having only lost one game. So that means the Seahawks would be three games out of first place right. already. Right. In, in, and in so it division. just becomes a race for the wild card. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. All right. Well, let's, uh, so the last team I wanted to mention was, uh, and I know this is, this is going to sound nuts, but um, I, I, I mean this honestly, like the chiefs are at this inflection point, you know, like, and I said it last week that the Chiefs are one of the teams I trust. And when you think about the loss that the Chiefs suffered this past weekend, it's still like it was very close. And the Chargers are no joke. So you know, is it really a shame? Is it really that much of a tragedy to lose to uh, the Ravens one week in Baltimore and then the Chargers in kind of a heartbreak? Um, and you know, I just say like, well, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And, you know, basically the, what I forgave in week two against the Ravens was Patrick Mahomes and uh, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire uh, missing, you know, turnovers. And in particular, I'm focusing on Patrick Mahomes because I mentioned this in their preview, uh, season preview episode, that Patrick Mahomes had a fairly humiliating Super Bowl, right? He was under, now it wasn't his fault. He was under duress instantly as soon as the ball was snapped. And so he was trying to do everything he could. And my point in the preview was, is he going to figure out a way to set that aside so that he doesn't feel like he has to, but against the Ravens and again, against the chargers, he had two like basically game losing interceptions because he was trying to do too much. And, um, you know, and so he has to decide, is he going to protect the football? Is he going to play smart or is he going to keep trying to take all these chances? If you look at last year, the the Chiefs went eight and one in one score games, which is amazing by itself. But that includes seven straight from week nine through week 16. And, you know, so even if you just like regress to the mean of like they, you know, instead of going eight and one, they go, you know, five and four, four and five, you know, you could expect that. But if Patrick Mahomes keeps taking chances like these, they might that might regress all the way and flip flip all the way around because he might give away games that they might otherwise win. And so he has to decide this, you know, soon if this is going to be the way he's going to play all season long. And if he is, then we're going to see, uh, I think, a, a real boomer bust type uh, type season for Patrick Mahomes, which I don't think is going to work out well, especially, as you said, the defense is not there uh, to back him up. Right. Yeah. It, it That underscores the point that I was trying to make perfectly, which is you know, there's such a thin margin of error, uh, for the chiefs on offense, um, the defense performing the way that they do similar to any other team in the NFL, whether it's the Seahawks or, or anyone else, when your defense is not performing and giving up a lot of yards and points and, um, you know, and not giving your offense a whole lot of chances, it just puts so much pressure on the offense. Number one, to score a lot of points, but for everything else to go right, for the offense so that they can score <laughs> those points and you know uh turnovers are the ultimate equalizer there too so when when there's an, an immense amount of pressure um to perform on offense in those close games with a razor thin margin um you know any it, it just goes to show any quarterback in the league including the mvp can make crucial mistakes so yep all right well that's it so let's uh enough of that let's cover the rest of the games and the crowd results 
All right. I'll kick things off here. We had the Lions as seven and a half point home underdogs hosting the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, the Ravens won, as we mentioned, on the record-setting field goal um, by, uh, what's his name again? Justin Tucker. Justin Tucker. How did I forget that? Uh, uh, the 66-yard record-setting field goal. Uh, so the Ravens won the game by two points, 19-17, to 17, meaning the Lions covered the spread, and the total stayed pretty well under the 50 points, but the Ravens come out with the win. Our crowd had the Ravens winning in a slightly more convincing fashion, uh, 29 to 20, let's call it. So the crowd thought the Ravens would win and cover, and the total would also stay just a bit under 50. So the crowd gets two of three predictions right here, calling the Ravens to win and the total to stay under, but uh, missing on Detroit to cover. Yeah, and I just saw today that uh, there was a question about whether the broadcast of the... So uh, the play before the Tucker uh, field goal, the Ravens ran a play to just to see if there was somebody open, try to get down the field a little bit further. But before they snapped the ball, the play clock ran out. And there was a question about whether or not it was the broadcast play clock or if it was the play clock in the stadium. And I just saw a video that said that showed that it was the play clock in the stadium that had run to zero. And it was like two seconds and yeah. the officials just missed it. And they let him, they let him play. They let, let him get the, um, uh, and they let him throw this pass. It didn't move the ball up the field at all, but you know, uh, it should have been five yards and that would have been, yeah. that would have been a, a 71 yard field goal instead of 66. So right. still an amazing accomplishment, but, uh, and it's just, Lions football, unfortunately, is snake bit. So, yeah, but did they say that was the third time that a record-setting field goal has been kicked against the Lions. I know um, when Dempsey did it in the '60s that that was against the Lions. That's the only one I know about, but I don't. I don't know if there was a third one. Okay, okay. I thought for some reason it was three, but yeah. anyway, yeah, that was pretty amazing. Not only that he broke the record um, by two yards. Um, and that the kick bounced off the crossbar and went through. So it was it was really close, and it was really cool to watch. But they were also losing the game by one point with no time left, basically. So yeah. it was a true game-winning kick right, right. and a record-setting kick at the yeah. same time. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on uh, to Chicago at Cleveland. The Bears, or excuse me, the Browns were seven-and-a-half-point home favorites. The total is 45. The Browns won convincingly 26 to 6, which meant they won and covered the spread, and the game stayed under the 45. Uh, Our crowd had uh, a somewhat higher scoring affair, 28 to 18, which meant that our crowd thought that Browns would win and cover, but uh, the game would go over the 45. So the crowd got the Browns win and cover correct, but missed out. Uh, on the over so just just missed by a little bit so some of the good luck you know did it did uh swing the other way so not much to say about this game the bears just look really bad that like that's all there is to it the bears look really bad yeah the browns were just all over the quarterback for yeah. the bears um yeah. i think they had like nine and a half sacks in that's, the game or something yeah. like that yeah um just crazy they were all over him um and i think he got a little bit banged up as a result so yeah the Bears are a team to watch. Their defense has been playing pretty well, but, um, man, they are a mess on offense. All right, the Steelers were two-and-a-half-point home favorites, as we mentioned, hosting the Bengals, um, who actually came out with the win as underdogs, 24-10. to 10. Pretty convincingly, the Bengals win and cover, and the total stays under the 43, uh, thanks in no part to Ben Roethlisberger. 
And uh, the crowd thought that the Steelers would win um, by just a little bit over two points. So basically a 23 to 21 win uh, with some decimal points in there. So the crowd thought the Steelers would win, but the Bengals would cover as underdogs and the total would go just over the 43. So the crowd gets one of three predictions right here, accurately calling the thread the needle, uh, covered by the Bengals, but missing on the Bengals to win and uh, the over. Yeah, I don't have much to say about this other than, yeah, as we said, Steelers are are having trouble. They look like a mess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we talked about just the one thing. We talked about um, T.J. Watt being the Jenga piece for the Steelers, and it certainly looks that way. Like, without T.J. Watt, they just look like they don't have a defense at all, so... What's his prognosis? Is he going to be out for some period of time? Is he on IR? Or, uh, I don't think so. Uh, I can look it up real quick, but um, I, I, have, I haven't uh, I haven't seen any updates about that other than the fact that he's been out. So, uh, all right. Well, we'll know. You know what? People can look that up. So, all right. Let's look. <laughs> let's go uh, up to New York, uh, or excuse me, New Jersey. Uh, the Falcons were in New Jersey. The Giants were two and a half point home favorites. The total was forty seven and a half. The Falcons went outright uh, 17 to 14 on a last minute young way uh field goal, which meant that they won and covered uh, and the game stayed under the 47 and a half. Um, our crowd had uh, some of the low, uh, low scoring fare as well, uh, 23 roughly to 22, which meant that the crowd thought the Giants would win, but the Falcons would cover and the game would stay under the 47 and a half. So the crowd got two of three that getting the Falcons cover and the under correct. Uh, the Giants are having trouble as well. Yes. I'm not, you know, the, I, I don't know any, I don't know what to say about either of these two teams, except the trends, I guess, continue. That's, that's all there is to it. <laughs> well, yeah. Well said that that's a, a fair assessment. All right. The saints were in uh, new England against the Patriots as three point home favorites. As we mentioned before, uh, the total was 43 and a half and the saints won fairly convincingly 28 to 13, which meant they won and covered the spread. The total stayed a bit under the 43 and a half. The crowd predicted the Patriots to win about 23 to 21, so a, a close win by the Patriots, according to the crowd. Um, but thinking that the Saints would cover in a thread the needle as underdogs, uh, thought the total would also stay just a bit under the 43 and a half. So the crowd gets two of three right here, calling the Saints to cover and the total to stay under 43 and a half. Yeah, all right. I mean, uh, the big. You know, the big, uh, I think that the Saints are going to win on their defense, and that's going to be it. So, uh, but who I don't know necessarily. Oh, and, and you know, when they lost to the Panthers, they had a bunch of like COVID issues and things like that. So, uh, that's that kind of explains why they might have struggled there. But in any case, uh, their defense is certainly going to be it. James Winston is does not look like a great quarterback, so well, it's going to be it's maybe, maybe not. He's not terrible. He's it's kind of a wild card. I would describe sure describe him more as so. Well, <laughs> I would also say if you're a wild card at quarterback, you're not a great quarterback. Well, you're a wild card that can come up aces more often than not. I guess. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. All right. Well, and it, we'll we'll see how it plays out. All right. Let's go to another exciting game this week. Uh, the Chargers were in Kansas City. The Chiefs were seven and seven point home favorites. The total is fifty four and a half. The Chargers won outright thirty to twenty four. Uh, which meant that they, uh, by winning outright, they covered the spread, and the game stayed under the fifty-four and a half. Uh, our crowd had uh, kind of <laughs> kind of interesting. They had the scores flipped. They had the Chiefs winning thirty-one point three to twenty-four point four, which meant that the crowd thought the Chiefs would win, but the Chargers would cover by point one. 
points, and mm-hmm. the game would go over the 54.5. So the crowd just got the Chargers cover correct. Uh, Justin Herbert still having a fantastic year, and we've talked already about the Chiefs, so uh, not much sure, sure there's much more to say about this. All right. Well, the Seahawks were in Minnesota for an ill-fated matchup against the Vikings, <laughs> who were actually two-point home underdogs here. Jeez, we should have known better. Uh, the total was 54 and a half, and the Vikings win big 30 to 17, meaning they easily covered the spread and the total stayed under 54 and a half because the Seahawks couldn't score for the last 42 minutes of the game. <laughs> so the crowd uh, thought the Vikings um, would actually win and cover, uh, predicting a very close margin here with the Vikings coming out on top, let's call it 28 to just under 28. Uh, crowd thought the Vikings would win and cover, as I said, and the total would go just a bit over 54 and a half. So the crowd gets two of three accurately calling the Vikings to win and cover. And that's probably due mainly in part to Vikings fan, whatever is right. Handle is. Yeah. Maybe Viking fan 2869. Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. So anything else you want to say about this game? Um, just, it was frustrating. Sure. Um, Seahawks started out really well score you know march right down the field and scored a touchdown on their first possession um scored again either on the next consecutive possession or or shortly thereafter um settled for a long 53 yard field goal um after their one of their ensuing drives in the first half kind of stalled unfortunately i think due to a penalty um at that point things were looking good um we had uh our, our field goal kicker extended his franchise record um, streak of made field goals to 37, I want to say it was, uh, dating back to last season. Uh, he had missed some extra points here and there, but um, hadn't missed a field goal since the 2019 season. Mm. Um, and then he did, and we never scored again. So meanwhile, our defense couldn't literally couldn't stop the Vikings yeah. at all. In fact, they scored on almost every every possession. I don't, I'm not sure that they even punted because I think they went for it on fourth down yeah. once or twice. Hmm. Um, the big thing for the Seahawks defense is just not being able to get off the field. Yeah, um, They're one of the worst defensive teams on third down. Uh, they had a crucial, crucial um, defensive holding penalty on third down when uh, – the Seahawks actually got a sack hmm. um, in the game. I think it was Rasheem Green, the defensive end for the Seahawks, uh, sacked Kirk Cousins, and it looked like they were going to have to punt it away, and that was going to, con- you know, continue the momentum in the Seahawks' favor. Um, but after that holding penalty um, and the resulting first down that was granted to the Vikings, they went down and uh, hmm. drove all the way down the field. Don't think they even got to third down again. <laughs> scored a touchdown and um it was all unanswered points from that point on yeah so you can't be a bad third down defensive team if you never let the te- other if the offense never gets to a third down <laughs> yeah uh-huh. well and that uh-huh. certainly uh-huh. happened several times in this game too so <laughs> now I, I watched the game as well and um i was i was very surprised it justin jefferson was getting open way too easily yeah. it was a uh, i don't know if it was just the way that they were schemed or uh, i got the sense i mean and look I had uh, the Raiders had Ken Norton Jr. as their defensive coordinator. It did not work out particularly well, uh, and I know that he's your DC now. And I'm not sure 
what it is like that you know th- there's a lot of failings on the defense that seem to be happening and he's got to yeah. he's got to sort it out that's all there's to it well there's a lot of debate in the seahawks um uh sort of fan zone about you know is it ken norton's fault is it is it uh pete carroll's fault is it the player's fault really in my opinion it's it's all of the yeah, above sure. but it's a, a lot of really poor execution and um some just frustratingly um, stubborn scheming and play calling on mm-hmm. defense. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, that that's been one of the things that I think with the with the Seahawks over the last couple of years. Last year it was mainly with the offense, um, seemingly refusing to make adjustments as the season went on. You know, things started out great the first half of the season, and then as soon as they weren't working, um, they weren't seemingly capable of making the proper adjustments to to get it back on track again and the same has happened with the defense Mm. this year the offense it's been great in the first half um and then it just seems to well it's only been three games but in both of the last two games um the offense has really just kind of sputtered out and yeah i I don't really know how to explain it it's like they're getting away from the run game and um you know, maybe just pressing a little too much. And, and I don't know. Um, a, a lot of it, I think also has to do with the fact that the defense can't get off the field. And yeah. so it's really hard for the offense to, when the other team is literally running twice as many plays on offense than, than your team is, um, your opportunities are much more limited. So, yep. um, it all plays into it and results in the Seahawks being a one and two. Yep. All right. Well, sorry. We, we, I, you know, wasn't expecting to pour so much salt in the wound, but but there you have it. So sorry about that, Paul. Uh, You know, life goes on. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to my Raiders. Uh, The Dolphins were in Las Vegas. The Raiders were three point home favorites at close. Uh, The total is 44. The Raiders won in a fairly thrilling victory. Uh, 31 to 28, which meant that they won. They actually pushed on the spread and the game went over the 44. Uh, our crowd had the Raiders winning somewhat more convincingly 26 to 20, uh, which meant that they thought the Raiders would win and cover the spread and the game would go over uh, the 44. So the crowd uh, got the Raiders win and the overcorrect, but missed out uh, on the spread. Um, so just talk about this game. This is, I think if there's one signal about the Raiders that I'm, is gives me hope is the fact that they were down 14 to zero. Uh, they had a really brutal pick six to start the game. They were down, you know, it was like 80, it was like an 80 yard pick six. Uh, and then they go down again or no, sorry. Um, and then the next drive, they go for it on fourth down, don't get it. And then that leaves the dolphins with a really short field. Um, so they're down 14 to zero. Their defense really is what, spark the comeback so they <laughs> i saw on uh the nfl subreddit that people were like dolphins fans were absolutely shocked that the dolphins uh punted or excuse me threw a screen pass essentially in their own end zone which led to a safety and then the raiders just kind of like chipped away they got they got a field goal then they got a touchdown and i think it was 14 to 2 at halftime or 14 to 12 at halftime um and then they scored so essentially the raiders scored uh, 25 unanswered points. Um, but unfortunately the Raiders also gave up a fourth and nine and a fourth and 20. Mm. Um, uh, so the fourth and nine came on the last drive of, re- of regulation. Uh, and you know, and then actually Jacoby Brissett scored on a fourth and two from the, you know, from the two yard line. 
uh, with nine seconds left. So the Raiders, like, really, you know, it was amazing. Like, their their defensive line got a really good push, forced Jacoby to set out of the pocket, but he was able to make some, uh, you know, do what he needed to do to keep the drives going or whatever. So that was a concern. But nevertheless, like, the Raiders played a really clean game on defense for the most part. They had one uh, boneheaded roughing the passer penalty, uh, which I would argue was not so much roughing the passer, but nevertheless, uh, you know, they played a very clean game. And so that is, that is a, the, a, a area of growth that they would not have done in the past. So, <laughs> and then Derek Carr is continuing to play really well. And so I am certainly happy to see that. Um, and he, what's amazing is that he is spreading the ball out very consistently. He was, he's throwing to Hunter Renfro. He's throwing to, uh, Darren Waller. He's throwing to Brian Edwards. He's throwing to Henry Ruggs. He's throwing to Foster Moreau. Uh, anyway, I could name him off. Um, I did want to also just do one call out that Henry Ruggs was the, their, uh, first round draft pick last year. And he is playing incredibly well. Like I don't want to overstate it. And, you know, certainly we'll have to see if it, he continues, but at least right now he has like Antonio Brown without the craziness vibes. <laughs> and so, um, like some of the catches he made, um, yesterday on Sunday were really v- incredibly athletic and required a ton of skill and, uh, and composure and that kind of thing. And so that was certainly exciting to see. Um, but Brian Edwards, who they talked about as being like a great compliment to him is doing well as well. So, uh, it's just a matter of really of just like feeding all the players and keeping, making sure that they're all happy. But so far, uh, the offensive, uh, core is, is doing quite well. And, um, and by the way, Peyton Barber, who was an off season pickup to kind of help spell Josh Jacobs, uh, had over a hundred yards on the ground. So that's also like a good sign as well. So, you know, the, all signs are pointing up. I'm excited, but, uh, you know, I've been here before, so I'm not buying anything more than just get to next week, beat the chargers. And then we'll, then we'll talk about, you know, <laughs> then we'll talk about the future. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, that's a, a good assessment and a great win by your favorite team. So mm-hmm. congrats, Chris. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, that dovetails nicely into uh, what was, to many people, the sort of the game of the week this mm-hmm. week. Um, and was certainly a very interesting matchup with the Rams hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I believe this was one of the games that we talked about last week when we were considering our barrel wagers. Mm-hmm. And I think at that point... Um, the Rams were, they were, uh, I think one point favorites. I thought they were like two and a half point favorites mm. or something like that because we were thinking like, wow, somebody must really know something about this that we right. don't. we're <laughs> right. like, Tom, when is Tom Brady, a you know, a two and a half point underdog? Yep. Um, uh, not very often. So as it turned out, the line ended up with the Rams being one point home underdogs. So that line moved um, definitely in favor of the Bucks. Uh, the total was 55 and a half. The Rams ended up winning fairly convincingly in the end, 34 to 24, which meant somebody did know something. Uh, and the Rams won and covered the spread easily, and the total went over 55 and a half. Our crowd predicted a 29 to 29 tie. <laughs> so I believe that's the first time that's ever happened. Um, especially you're right. rare considering we're averaging 12 score predictions for each team. So mm. number one for it to come out as uh, whole numbers for both teams is strange. Um, and then the same whole number for both teams is even more rare. But nevertheless, our crowd predicted a tie. And um, uh, that meant the crowd thought the Rams would cover that narrow one-point uh, spread. And 
the total would go a bit over 55 and a half. So the crowd gets the Rams to cover and the over. Yeah. I mean, it was just an overall dominant play, uh, performance by the Rams. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that, uh, it was uh, the, the Bucks defense. Uh, that's one thing I did hear over, over the course of the week was that the Bucks defense is actually in trouble. Like their cornerbacks are, they're down to like their four string quarterback. So that is, uh, that is going to be a problem over the course of the season for sure. Yeah. Well, and I heard they've got uh, Richard Sherman in house uh, <laughs> well, for a visit. So yeah, we'll your see. old friend. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to Sunday Night Football. The Packers were in San Francisco. The 49ers were three point home favorites. The total was fifty and a half, uh, and the Packers went outright uh, on a last second field goal by Mason Crosby, winning thirty to twenty eight. Which meant by winning out outright, they covered the spread and the game went over uh, the fifty and a half. So our crowd had uh, the Packers winning. Also narrowly, uh, twenty minutes called twenty six to twenty five, uh, which meant that the crowd thought the Packers would win and cover, but the game would say just under the fifty and a half by point two. So, you know, as we talked about, got lucky and a couple on one side, so we lost on the other side. So the crowd got the Packers win and cover correct, but uh, missed out on the total. Right, could have just as easily been our sixth trifecta. Right. Uh, all right, to close it out on Monday Night Football, the Cowboys hosted the Eagles. And uh, the Cowboys were favored by three and a half points. Total was 51 and a half. The Cowboys won easily and covered. Uh, final score was 41 to 21. Total went well over the 51 and a half. Our crowd thought that the Cowboys would win uh, 26 to 24, meaning the Eagles would cover in the thread the needle as underdogs. And the crowd thought the total would stay under the 51 and a half. Uh, unfortunately, which yielded only a single correct prediction by the crowd here to close out the week with uh, the Cowboys to win. All right. Well, let's move on to our individual results. Uh, so uh, we wanted to welcome uh, Awesome. That's uh, I don't know if we've ever said his uh, username, but Awesome, A-U-S-A-M-E, uh, <laughs> a.k.a. Robert Sturgle. He uh, welcome him back to the winner's circle again. Uh, he had 69 nice uh, prediction score points uh, and uh, just an overall outstanding. He hit double digits in every category this week. So congratulations, Robert. Uh, well done. You win the 25 bucks this week. So, uh, you know, uh, and then just going into each of the categories, uh, Paul and Pig Venus, 1976, were on top with 13 straight-up prediction wins. Uh, so well done there, guys. Uh, you and Pig Venus can share the. I'm just gonna. <laughs> I'm just gonna say his name as many times as possible. Uh, meanwhile, uh, uh, Robert uh, was alone on top against the spread with 11 correct, which is a pretty remarkable number as well. And uh, he also topped the over/under. Uh, correct predictions with an amazing 13 so congrats robert uh really fantastic week and uh we are happy to uh have you back in the winter circle so why don't you talk about the stake stacks because then you get to talk about yourself Paul. all right uh gladly so i had the biggest stack of the week which that never gets old saying that no either. no yeah. no biggest stack of the week uh netted 15 stakes off 39 wagered uh, best return on investment went to our good old friend Viking fan twenty eight sixty nine who must have had a glorious weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, wagered, oh yeah, right. Yeah, wagered fourteen and netted ten for a tidy seventy one percent return on investment. Shout out to Mister Mojo one seventy who placed on the leaderboard with an ROI of forty three percent. Yeah, not too bad. Good job, Mister Mojo. It's a good name too. Yeah. All right, well, let's wrap, wrap this thing up. Head on over to SteakhouseSports.com. Again, you can spell steak either way, like the meat or the bet. 
to download the app and start predicting. Remember, winning a week gets you a prestigious shout-out on this here program. Odds update daily, so make sure to check your prediction predictions before game time, and feel free to compete directly against Chris and I by de- joining the SHS crowd on the app. You can also follow us on Twitter using handle at House of Stakes and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Steakhouse Sports. If you'd like, please feel free to reach out to us via email. You can reach us at podcast at SteakhouseSports.com. Oh, and by the way, if you're playing along with us at home, please give the app a rating in the App Store. If you want to see improvements, leave a review, and we'll be sure to take care of it. And while you're in the reviewing mood, please give us a rating or a review on the iTunes uh, store as it helps people discover the show. All right. I, by the way, I did see somebody left us a five-star review on the on Google Play, which was that was really nice. Awesome. So we'll uh, take it. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well. Uh, anyway. Um, uh, enough about uh, basking in the glow of you know our five star review. So we'll move on to the wrap this thing up, Paul. So uh, week three is now in the books, and who the hell knows what's happening anymore? Uh, on the other hand, Paul, I can't recall a season that has been so topsy turvy so early. Have you? Uh, not really. No. It's it's always a whirlwind at the yeah. beginning, but yeah, this has been crazy. This one seems just nuts. So uh, you know, if nothing else, we hope that the roller coaster ride continues this weekend, and the NFL games are just as exciting. We also hope our crowd builds on its fantastic week. Uh, three with some more outstanding crowd wisdom. But whatever happens, we'll be back next week to cover it all. So until then, I'm Chris. And I'm Paul. And we hope you enjoy your steaks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>